Good morning. Welcome to Talking with Rabbi Ted, streaming live this week on kpca.fm. Welcome to this week's segment. Uh, we're going to have uh, two guests. Uh, the first segment, we'll be speaking with John Bertucci, who is the executive director of PCA, uh, our public access stations. And the second segment, Rabbi Steve Finley from Congregation Shir Shalom in Sonoma will be with us. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman. I'm the rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma, chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council, bringing you this program in the hopes of introducing you to different people within our community who make a difference in our lives by adding culture and art and safety and all kinds of things to make our lives in Petaluma better. So it's a pleasure to welcome John Bertucci this morning. Good to see you here at your office today. Thank you, Ted. What's it like for you to be on the radio today? Oh, I'm usually on the other side. I do a show myself every other Sunday. Oh, you do that? Okay. Okay. Well, welcome. It's good to have you here. I actually asked you to be on this program because, well, you got me here on this side of the microphone. And I thought it would be wonderful for the community to also meet you in a little different way in our conversation. And so that's why you're here. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So how did you get to this work, and where do you, what's your background? Oh, gee. Uh, let's go back to when I was uh, four or five, six or seven. My mother was the librarian over at the old, what's the museum now? Wow. Okay. So I got, in, I got into the art section early, and I saw Paul Clay, and I became a painter. So, but I got into painting in the 70s and uh, drifted at the San Francisco Art Institute. I drifted into media, making movies and such. So I got into filmmaking at first. And uh, that career took me to Los Angeles and uh, 15 years in Paris where I did a lot of media, uh, traveled a lot. Then I came back to the, to the States. Um, my parents were getting older. Uh, my daughter didn't know the United States. She was five. So we came back to Petaluma, where I grew up, in 1999 and uh, bounced around. I got into this position in 2008. Hmm. Uh, Petaluma Community Access was on the Casa Grande campus and uh, had ups and downs. Um, but I, I got involved early when I got here in 99 for a year or so, but then uh, went off and did some other things. But in 2008, I, I jumped in. Um, PCA needed some help. It was moving from, it lost its MOU at the campus and was moving into this facility. And uh, at that time, Cindy Thomas was on the board. And um, we, Cindy and I, have been working for 10 years to hold the baby together, <laughs> to build it, to make it stable. And, uh, you know, we've, We've been doing television, making the resources available to the community since 1996. Um, but in the last few years, uh, television has lost its cachet, I could say. Uh, kids now, they make a movie on their phone and put it on YouTube. And I don't know anybody really in that, at that age group, that demographic that turns on the TV set to watch media. Right. So we were seeing our, our, the wind kind of drift from our sails. And... Uh, we had a young man working with us, Zach Smith, who uh, made it his mission to get an FCC license. And we tried once way back at the Casa Grande campus. That fell through. But in 2015, we got an FCC license for a low-powered radio. 
and uh, we didn't really get started on it until 2016. We brought in uh, Rob Tomaszewski, who was a contract employee then. Now he's on staff, and uh, it was 2017 that we, we built this little studio. So this is all fairly new. Absolutely. Wow, this is all it's fairly quantum new. Quantum jump. Well, I got to this program. I think I read the article in the newspaper uh, about the station and looking mm -hmm. for more programming, etc. And also I had the opportunity, uh, my colleague who's going to be in the second segment, Rabbi Finley, has a program on the local community access in Sonoma. Okay. So he invited me to come over to his show at that point, And I said, wow, I could do something like this. And that's how I ended up sitting with you that day talking about uh, possible programming. So That's the magic uh, equation. I can do that. <laughs> I can yeah. do that. I a lot of people are discovering that. We've got a, a steady stream of new shows coming in. It's really exciting. Yeah, you, any idea? Can you give some uh, preview? Oh, goodness. Off the top of um, your head? Rob's on top of that, but he recently sent me an email that we've got a food show coming up. We've got somebody who wants to do sports actually go out and do play-by-play, -play, record it, and then come in and play it. Uh -huh. um, Barton Smith is going to start uh, a local news kind of informational show. Um, you can. The best bet would be, uh, and it's very important right now because we're, we're not up to 24-7 in our broadcast. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend everybody to go to the website, kpca.fm, and check out the schedule button. Click on the schedule button, and you can see who's, who's playing when. Um, we've got a lot of music shows. Um, we're building up our talk shows. We're really excited right now because we've got three uh, programmers who are going to be um, interviewing all the candidates on all the ballots coming up. So that's an exciting development. Um, we're still working on technical ends of things, the programming, the automated programming that will keep the radio broadcasting in the middle of the night when nobody's here. We, we, still, haven't ma we still haven't mastered that, but... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, in a lot of ways, K PCA and now KPCA is the, the little train that could. We do the best we can with what we've got. And we really are community-oriented. Um, or, or, no, we can't survive without the community. We're here for the community. We make the resources available to the community. And uh, there's that line in that movie, you know, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> so th there's really no uh, advertising, obviously, on a community access station. So no. How do, how do you make it? How do you do this? This obviously Well, costs. at the moment, we're, you know, we still have the TV side of our operation, mm -hmm. and there are um, funds that come pass through the city with the cable providers. We call them PEG fees. PEG is P Public Education and Government. Uh -huh. And that's the model that sets up public access. And um, what we've done is we've grafted on another media platform <coughs> to provide communication training skills and opportunity to the community. So the radio is our, our new flagship, uh, and it's the most exciting at this point. It's getting a lot of attention. So we will be developing underwriting programs where local uh, businesses can support the, um, the, the operation and be uh, graciously acknowledged on the air. You hear that kind of thing on PBS a lot. Yes. Brought to you by this gracious I was thinking of, about that yeah. when you were describing you know, this, yes. This will be a, a key element because one of the things we're discovering is we've got to expand our staff hours mm -hmm. uh, to keep the door open to get more people coming in doing live shows. And that will require more um, revenue. Wow. Any concept of what the audience is like? Well, that's a challenge. You know, we don't, we're not big enough, really, to do the um, sampling of, uh, what is it, uh, Nielsen ratings. Nielsen ratings. No, there's nothing like that we can get into. But we do have a deal with the streaming where we, um, we 
pay a fee for a certain amount of listeners. I think we can uh, we can have 150 people listening on the stream at the same time. Mm -hmm. If we go to 200, we probably have to pay more. Mm -hmm. So that is monitored. Um, we've been watching it. Um, our top show so far has gotten 40 listeners. So okay. we're still on doing our baby steps. Right, right. And for me, I know that what I do is take the recordings of the of these shows yeah. and distribute it to my distribution list and. That's another audience that's currently not measurable also. So no, you've done an impressive job there because actually we've had more requests for archived shows. How, how do I listen to archived shows? The most requests have come in for your program. Wow. wow. And I went to your site and I saw how you do it and it's very well done. Good. People can go there. The problem is there we can't really provide that service. It would require a bigger server and more staff time, and we're stretched pretty thin as it is. Sure. Also, with music, there's royalties every time that's played, so we can't replay an old music show. But what we've done is we've put that off on the, the programmers themselves. It's right. their responsibility. Right. And you've done a great job with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, oh. I keep, keep trying, trying to spread it out. I was walking in my neighborhood one day, and one of my neighbor comes up and says, I'm sorry I missed your show this week. I said, yeah. really? <laughs> that's amazing, you know. That's amazing when that happens. Well, that's our promotional branch. Our quality control and promotional branch is word of mouth yeah. via the programmers themselves. Right, so right. And we it's, count on it's you. Been a great, it's been a great experience. Um, so what are, the, what are the issues that you face in, uh, in running this station? Uh, I guess financing, programming, uh, any pushback from the community about... Why are we spending money on this kind of radio no, station? No. Any no. Pedlam has always been very supportive of the community access station. We've mm -hmm. had council support from the word go. Um, now we're very strongly in, embedded. You know, getting people to, to get the reflex to understand that they have a Pedlam, a radio station. I mean, right now we're, we're limping because our transmitter is in England being repaired, so you can't listen in your car radio. But that is a great joy for me, is to bop around Petaluma and turn on KPCA and hear local people I know making radio. I don't think the community has the reflex to really know that it's there, where that 40 listeners would turn into 400 because there's, you know, something to listen to. Or just people don't even know it's there. So getting the word out is an important task ahead of us. Also, um, juggling all the personal energy that comes in, the human energy, that's exciting because <laughs> everybody's got a different, uh, uh, everybody's marching to a different drum and bringing them in, training them how to do it. Uh, uh, building um, the integrity of the community is very important. So how do you handle, I assume that obviously because you are licensed particularly, you're under uh, FCC regulations for political endorsements and all the restrictions that come under uh, those licenses. So how is that handled with this kind of station? Well, we, uh, we, we are like the, the pipes, uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, you are the water. Uh -huh. So you are the one responsible for what you say. We have rules and regulations that we make known to you, and right. we monitor what you do. Right. Um, and, you know, if you go off the, off the beaten track, we'll tell you. But ultimately, you are the responsible person for the for the um, for following the rules. And we have a, a handbook and an agreement that you signed coming in that I you did, yes. that uh -huh. you understand the handbook. And uh -huh. we're still updating it. Um, you know, like with uh, election coverage, uh, it's got to be fair, um, equal opportunity, right. equal time. Right. 
But, uh, you know, that, it, that basically that would be you contact all the candidates and offer them an opportunity to come in. And if they don't come in, then that's their responsibility, right. not yours. So there are always ways to do that. Uh, what we have, uh, we also have to be very closely monitoring people trying to sell their wares. Uh, you know, you can't advertise. Any call to action is forbidden. It's anything that has dollar signs, it costs this much, or we're better than they are, or uh -huh. you know, come down to the office and see what we can, you know, because we got the best. That can't happen. So it, it's a question of um, creating a venue for your uh, opinions, your passions. Uh, and sharing them with the community. That's the important thing. Is communication is, uh, well, I could go off on a, off the deep end talking about communication. It's very important, isn't it? Well, especially in our country today uh, with, with the attacks on media, etc. So uh, how does that, does that affect community access stations? Or I think it's the driving uh, mission of community access. You know, it, the television side, the PEG uh, media community access model, started in the 70s as a way to make sure that when the cable companies came in and took over all the, the television signal, uh, local communities had a, had an in that were inc included. Mm -hmm. I've always um, compared it to a park in a city. Uh, even you know you have a green space in a city, you have a non-commercial local. Uh, opportunity to enter into the same spectrum. Uh, I think it's empowering to the community. Um, you teach people how to use the technology. You demystify the technology. You also put, um, you know, like we would have uh, somebody do a film of their barbecue in the backyard, and somebody zapping on TV could go from Julia Roberts to the neighbor's young daughter. And just putting them on the same level is, is a gesture that I think is important for the, the health of a community. So that mission, that that um, ideal is is what's driving the whole uh, our whole work here. Uh, I've, I you know I consider communication a, a sacred um, fluid. It's like a pool, a sacred pool. And uh, even when I was in Europe, I was looking back at the United States, and it was like people were pissing in the pool. <laughs> and you know we needed to, to work on that to clean clean it out and mm -hmm. and use it to communicate stuff that helps people rather than move money out of their pocket and into somebody else's. Right. Well, so much of uh, commercial television and radio is centered around the ad revenue, the, oh, the totally all of that. Totally. So it's in many ways distracting. Uh, community Access Radio would have uh, an opportunity for people just to deal with ideas, news, whatever the yeah. it is that's theirs. So there can be a certain purity, and uh, in this media that we're doing here, that's not available in the, uh, in the, through the cable companies yeah. and all those yeah. things. It's a very important. And, thing. and you can imagine young people growing up. Uh, you know, I'm not on TV. I don't exist. Well, come down to PCA and get on TV. <laughs> there we go. There it's we not go. so it's not so hard, and it's actually, uh, um, it's actually fun. So if you were to make, I, I remember one time I did a, um, a seminar for. Uh, front office people in organizations, and I asked each of them to write a mission statement for their jobs, their personal mm -hmm. mission statement. What is it that they see their role in this? And it, it was fascinating because we often see, oh, the person in the front, they're just answering the desk, uh, their phones, and shuffling papers. But each person had something really deep to say about how he or she was spending their lives at that point. Mm -hmm. So 
what with just off the top of your head you've oh. you've started to talk about the mission of the station but i would ask what's john's mission what is um, john's mission here to do no harm and to leave the place better after i've passed through that uh-huh. would be the bottom line uh-huh. if you dug deep enough right but um there's also a level of uh of sharing you know right now sharing music is an important gesture music is magical mm-hmm. um with all the noise, um, everything is so polarized at the moment. Um, it's like opinions are like shrapnel. You've got to duck if you say the wrong thing in the wrong place. <laughs> yes. And it's 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 making people, I don't know, either be quiet or be shrill. I mean, it's it's really confusing the uh, the, the the country <laughs> right is. now. It is. Uh, you know, we're in a fourth industrial revolution, and you've watched the others that transformed with. Uh, you know, factories and oil, and uh, we're into artificial intelligence. Um, you, you won't know if the person you're seeing on TV really was in front of the camera or whether a computer generated that and made their mouth move. So we are in another realm of reality, and uh, we could lose the basics, which is me talking to you straight, you know, one-to-one. Um, and uh, if, if there's anything I can do to help people... Um, uh, find a way to uh, express themselves in that or find themselves or, or give other people stuff. Um, I don't I don't consider myself a boss here. <laughs> uh, maybe a leader, but a leader leading from behind, uh, trying to uh, inspire and generate creativity and um, keep productive fun, I think, would be. Right. Yeah, I've I've had people tell me at times and uh, say, "You need to be more authoritarian," and I would say, oh. "Well, you know, uh, that's no." I ha- I have to thank my lucky stars or my bless my uh, my angels because this this job has been very good for me. Good. Uh, you know, I was a freelancer for thirty years. I would get a job. I would work for 15 hours a day for two months, and then I would take three months off while I prepared the next job. Uh-huh. And I got sent to exciting places and dangerous places, and I met lots of different people. But uh, this job was uh, was a nine-to-five. I came in kind of on a rescue mission, kind of pulled the baby together and put it back together, and uh, we did that. And then I got hooked on it because it was always different. There's always different people coming in. Uh, my daughter was going through high school, so it gave me stability, 10 years of stability. Um, and uh, just watching it grow, holding it together, that's been a, a real thrill for me. So it's interesting to me that you are um, emphasizing the role of communication. I should have you uh, on the same show with uh, someone else who's on my guest list who is Luz Dwyer, oh. whose, uh, whose theme is listening. So, because it's actually the two things that go together. One is, Mm -hmm. it's okay to communicate, but what somebody hears is something else. And so, the notion of developing the tools of communicating, communicating clearly, and hearing clearly, and uh, that's a, a wonderful combination. And that's a very interesting dynamic, because ultimately you may think you told somebody what you think, but it's what they heard that counts. And you right. need to listen. You need to know how they're hearing it and maybe change a few words so that they can hear what you want them to hear. Also, when I was directing films and I'd have a crew, I would tell them what I wanted, and some people would not understand, and they right. would do something else. But sometimes that something else was better. So, <laughs> you know, you listen. listening is the key to uh, a good interview. <laughs>
is if it's interesting in, in Jewish sacred texts. There's this one section that says uh, Moses received the revelation, the Torah, at Mount Sinai. And the scholars asked, well, why did it say Moses received it? And without getting into all these theological issues and stuff like that, well, just because God said it doesn't mean that Moses heard the same thing. So this was a text mm -hmm. from 2,000 years ago. So what we had is technically or theoretically what Moses heard, not necessarily what God said in that context. So it's the same thing, that whole process of communicating and what we hear and how we make sure in that process that we're trying to be as clear as possible when we're saying things mm -hmm. and that the listeners out there who we don't have a chance to have a dialogue with are able to hear things clearly from us. That's a that's an art, actually. And we, you know, PCA had the, the tagline for a while in the beginning, communication builds community. Mm -hmm. But you can make that a loop because community creates communication and the communication then reinforces community right. and purifying that process so that good ideas get passed on and uh, bad ideas get put in the, in the gutter. Uh, right now, we are being bombarded with with false news, uh, bad ideas, uh, uh, people are, are venting and not necessarily clean stuff that's right, coming out. Right. And you know, it's hard to take. Uh, there are levels of, uh, of fear and frustration and depression. Uh, I, I see it in my, my contacts and myself. <laughs> I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning because sometimes it, that thought will run through my head and it just doesn't make sense and I can't go back to sleep. Yes, it's hard. I just finished reading uh, John Meacham's book, uh, The Soul of America, in which he goes back over pretty much the American history, highlighting different presidential leaderships mm -hmm. and the values that they chose and the various things they confronted and periods of fear versus periods of hope. And uh, our nation, for all of the criticism that may have been with the previous administration, that previous administration was an administration of hope, mm -hmm. good, good, bad, or indifferent. I don't want to get into the details of that in this discussion. And now we're back into the a period of fear. And uh, American history has gone through that, and that's well, what we're living fear, with. Uh, we're in a period of fear because fears would be a reaction uh -huh. to a period of uh, confusion. I think that's where we're seeing the end of one way of life end, and a new way of life hasn't started. So we're right. in this kind of lurch where... Um, a lot of people can take advantage of that. I think what's going on into uh, uh, in Washington is a, a dumpster sale. I mean, people see the confusion and they're going in to rip off what they can. Right. And they're using their power, corrupt power, to get as much as they can as fast as they can. Uh, I, I don't think our president would be there this long if somebody wasn't profiting from his craziness. Right. <laughs> that's, that's my opinion. Right, right, right. And you have yours. So. Yeah. So, but but I I know of course that the station, you know, if there's a conservative talk show that comes in, it's going to be offered to the community. Uh, I would assume within reasonable uh, boundaries, following the rules and regulations, so that we can hear alternate opinions in oh, our community. Yeah, definitely. Right. Everything's welcome here. Yeah. Yeah. Is that happening among any of the? Um, you know, I, I don't know at this point. Uh, I have to do some research on that. I mean, certainly uh, we have uh, all walks of life in Petaluma. You know, we, right. have, we have an election uh, period coming up, right? We do, and we have candidate different candidates, right. and they're right. all going to be invited on, right? Um, 
you know, it, that's been a tradition at PCA. You, know, you can look at the, the council makeup and how many of them had radio shows uh-huh. um, got started. Uh, so at that, I'm, I'm at a loss really to be specific okay. on that. Okay. I was going to – actually, I, I have – planning to invite the mayoral candidates to come on this show, oh. so that was my plan, and uh, I spoke to one of them already about it, so... Well, we should get together on that, because yeah. we're, we're putting... We need to coordinate we're coordinating a calendar, us. because I know that uh, there are three other shows that are already oh, in, really? in contact okay. with the candidates, or okay. if you count the school districts. Wow. wow, It's growing fast, and we want to put that on the website so people can go to our KPCA, actually go to the PCA.tv website which is the uh, the mothership for all of our little operations here. Right. And we will have a calendar of all the candidate interviews. Wow. What's happening in the TV part now? Uh, the TV, well, we've got, uh, we're still doing our main uh, spectator sport is covering Council. city council right, right. <laughs> and all the government meetings. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were able to expand, and we are now providing um, government meeting coverage for Katati and Rohnert Park as uh-huh. well that they broadcast. Uh-huh. Uh, we're just the operators of the equipment that record each meeting. Uh, and that's another revenue stream, diversifying our, our base. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have people coming in to do television production. Um, and uh, we are also thinking, we've got three channels um, mm-hmm. on uh, the cable. If you've got uh, Comcast, you get uh, 26, 27, 28. 28 is our government channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're looking to cross-pollinate. Uh, um, we would like to be running the radio signal on 27, which is the educational channel. Um, and we would also like to take the audio from uh, government meetings and run them on the radio. So, Okay. Well, I th- you know, we are going to be uh, winding down in just a short time here. And wondered if you had any last comments before we finish up our discussion about uh, this endeavor. Well, to all who are listening, um, we thank you because uh, we thank you in advance because we won't be here in three years if uh, the community doesn't step up yeah. and own this station. We are here. We're running it for you. We make it available for you. Uh, your support will be crucial. Right now, well, we've been able to save money. That's what built this. Um, we've run a trim ship, but the tr- uh, we're going to get. We're going to need a bigger ship, okay. and with that, we're going to need more support. Uh, we have um, we have a fundraiser every year, the Oscar night at the Mystic. But we're looking now to p- developing some big name concerts at the at the Phoenix. Well, thank you, John Bertucci, for being part of talking with Rabbi Ted today. You're listening to KPCA FM and do the streaming live at kpca.fm. Thank yes. you. Come oh. back for a second segment. Been a pleasure.
Welcome to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted. You're listening to KPCA LP, Petaluma, California. This week, streaming live at kpca.fm. Our guest in our second segment here is Rabbi Steve Finley from Congregation Shir Shalom in Sonoma. Uh, welcome. Howdy. It's good to see you here today. Yeah, good to see you too. It's good. Um, so this is a reciprocal. When I was on your radio show over there, That's we right. uh, we did a was a Hanukkah gig, right? right it was, For, yeah, it was it about, was about Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yeah. You came and uh, shared your insights and wisdoms of the holiday and a few other things. And wow, when you told me that you actually got something going here in Petaluma, I was so jazzed. I thought, well, maybe my job's done then. I can, <laughs> I you got can retire. Here. I can retire. That's it. <laughs> I don't think the signal's reaching there, although the streaming would, of course. Yeah. And uh, I just mentioned uh, the executive director of PCA of our community access was just on here mm-hmm. in the room, and I mentioned that your program had been my inspiration oh, good. when I saw nice. the when I saw the uh, article in our local newspaper that they were looking for more programming. Wonderful. So, uh, yeah. It's great to have you here yeah, today. Thank you. So, how, how long have you been in Sonoma? I just finished four years. Four years in, already. Uh, wow. Right, for Congregation wow. Sir Shalom. Yeah. And uh, we're still the only uh, kind of the Anatevka, the only Jewish organized community in Sonoma. Uh-huh. Chabad yet has not yet. Uh, come in. You always have to put that yet in. Yeah. They'll be there. I, I welcome them. It would yeah, be great yeah. if they came. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I just finished four years and uh, going on my fifth. And uh, for Shir Shalom, that's 
That's pretty good. Yeah, well, I just finished 13. Wow, and, uh, oh my gosh. Yes, and for B'nai Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma, uh, that's I'm probably the longest-serving That's quite an rabbi, achievement. Uh, over the years, yeah. Sure. So, um, so uh, where, where you come from? What's your, sure. Tell me a little bit about you. Um, well, I can tell you where I just came from, which okay. was a 10-day seminar in Jerusalem. Um, together with uh, Rabbi George Gittleman and Stephanie Kramer from Shomri Torah up in uh-huh. Santa Rosa. I met them there. We didn't know, I think actually we did know each other was coming. There was a couple of colleagues from my rabbinical school that I was not aware that they were coming, so it was nice to see them. I went a week early before the seminar. This was all in July. Uh-huh. I went a week early because I have family. I have a son living in Israel. I was married with a three-year-old. And my former kibbutz, where I lived for about 20 years and where our kids were born and raised. Um, so I did some reconnecting to friends and family and friends from the Army, and, um, and then went down to Jerusalem for the 10-day seminar. So you can imagine, I don't know, have you been on the Shalom Hartman Institute, any of their... No, I've never, uh, I've seen or right, I've yeah. used their courses and right. stuff, but I haven't yeah. been there. Right. So there's a few that are similar, but that one was certainly, it was my first time, uh-huh. and it was certainly uh, very, very... Uh, uh, inspiring and uh, educational. I had not sat, I guess, since rabbinical school, really, with, um, you know, rabbis grappling over rabbinic text, uh-huh. trying to solve current issues. Uh, basically, the, the, the idea was that um, there's a widening gap between our professed values um, from the synagogue and the church and what's really happening because of the political climate, uh-huh. both in America and in Israel. So we presented that kind of dilemma that we're in and uh, opened up ancient texts to find the answers. It was really nice. So did, did you find any? I found some answers. Wow. Yeah, yeah we could <laughs> you. Will you tweet them out a little later? Today? Yeah, you're going to have to come to Congregation Church a moment. <laughs> okay. Okay. So no. when, when did you finish rabbinical school? Uh, 2009. 2009. So... Uh, you had quite a, a career and a uh, it was kind of a third journey, career, yeah. a third career for your journey in your life uh, before that in Israel. Uh, in Israel, and also, you know, I grew up in Southern California. Uh-huh. Um, I went to elementary school, and uh, believe it or not, there used to be a Compton Jewish Community Center. So I went to uh, elementary school in Compton, and then I went to junior high and high school in Long Beach, um, in Southern California. And uh, after graduation, I went to Israel just to kind of explore and see. I wasn't ready for college. And when I got myself on a kibbutz, I fell in love with kibbutz life. Uh-huh. Just It was still kind of socialism a little bit. You know, you own everything, but you own nothing. And, um, and I just uh, really fell in love with that way of life. And so, you know, communal effort, communal reward. And I stayed from 79 to 99. Wow. And uh, that's where I met my now wife of 20-something years. And, um, and our kids were born, like I said, in Israel. Um, and then when, I, when we left the kibbutz, um, we, came, we came, decided to come back to Southern California. My wife and kids had never really had a chance to experience my family, right, on a daily basis or weekly basis, and my sisters and brother and all their kids. So we came kind of without a plan. We thought two years. And if we want, we'll go back to Israel, and if not, we'll figure it out. And I'm, within those two years, I found myself in rabbinical school. So, wow. wow. Yeah. 
yeah, it's been quite a journey. So, so you didn't, I, I, you found yourself, sounds like, uh, like you know, all well, of a sudden I woke up one morning. One and morning I, and I was in class, yeah. yeah well, so actually, I was taking a master's in Jewish education uh-huh. at, the, at the American Jewish University. Okay. And on the same campus, they have a rabbinical school, the Ziegler School of Rabbinics. Right. So sitting together, you know, the, the masters for this program and rabbinical students and Right, kind of a mishmash of everybody. We were all taking similar classes. And I was often confused by our professors as one who's in the rabbinical school, not in the Masters for Education. So I took that as a sign. I said, well, maybe that's where I should be then. Mm-hmm. And so I took one class at the Academy for Jewish Religion just to kind of test the waters. It's kind of intimidating. You know, a rabbi, oh my gosh, you know, who am I? Am I worthy? What? Um, and, uh, then, you know, next semester I took another one and then, and, uh, yada, 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 I graduated. <laughs> you did graduate. You did graduate. So one of the things I've, uh, that we, we, I'm sure experience is that often, um, our, our Christian clergy might ask us, when did we get our call? Mm-hmm. Um, I've always struggled with that word because it's not the something calling. we use in sure. in Jewish tradition. How if somebody said, "Well, how what is that called for you? What is that? How did that happen?" Right. Well, um, I certainly get that what you right. just said because when even I've 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 heard some of my colleagues say the calling, and I looked around the room and I saw people roll their eyes. You know, right, oh, right. yeah, it's the calling, but. Um, I would say it was not so much of a a moment or a calling or a turning point. It was it was a slow process to find out um, if I'm worthy of it. Number one, and also to help myself, you know, because when I came back from Israel, I kind of went into some darkness, um, search in search of self identity. Mm-hmm. You know, living in Israel and being a, I was an English teacher, and, you know, of course, a kibbutznik and my military uh, time and all of that, that was very fulfilling for me. So when I came back to uh, Southern California, <coughs> excuse me, I, um, I went through some searching. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, during that searching time, you know, um, just numbing, I guess, my own fears of where I am in life. I was 40 and starting over, and there was a lot of fear and anxiety and stress that went through that, and I needed help. And so really, it was going into rabbinical school, I was surrounding myself with, you know, just great people, great wisdoms, great leadership, and that was what I needed. It was what I needed. So it was a life life preservation kind of moment for me wasn't so much thinking of the calling. Right. And I really wasn't sure what kind of rabbi I would be, whether a pulpit rabbi or or adult education or a freelancer or, you know, a weddings rabbi. Still just had to figure that one out. So uh, I know that the Army played a big role in your life in that experience. Correct. And uh, good, bad, and indifferent. I mean, lots, right. of, lots of different feelings went right. through with it. Yeah. Can you talk about that for a couple of minutes? Sure. Well, I went, um, you know, so I, uh, again, arrived in Israel, a young man in 1970, technically 77, but I really didn't decide to stay until 79, where I did Aliyah, our immigration process, and found, again, found myself 
right, quickly uh-huh. in, uh, in the Army. Um, they inducted me within three weeks. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So I was in a combat unit, and um, this was 1981, now 8081. And um, so, you know, serious uh, basic training and, and all of that, and I'm uh, pretty, feeling pretty good, um, strengthening my Jewish identity. And uh, the Lebanon War of, of 1982 broke out, and I was a sergeant and, and spent the last uh, months of my um, enlisted time uh, in Lebanon. And I experienced, um, I experienced a lot of traumatic, you know, something that a California kid wasn't, you know, didn't see that coming kind of thing. And I don't think I really ever um, tended to that, looking back. Just uh, bottled it up. Um, and I think that was part of my uh, searching and, and, you know, darkness when I came back to the States. You know, this, this, this popular uh, term, uh, post-traumatic uh, stress, disorder. Stress, and stress disorder, I would say the entire country of Israel is constantly in a post-traumatic stress disorder because so many people serve in the military. And terrorist bombs, if you remember, in the 2000, early 2000s, right. coffee shops and buses. And it was just traumatic to live. Forget about surviving in the Middle East, surviving the Middle East itself. It's just a, uh, it's just a bedrock for um, trauma. There's a lot going on. Um, so I, you know, um, got out of the Army in my time, and uh, they added a little bit of uh, time to me because of the Lebanon War. But then the ensuing 16 years of uh, reserve duty um, also just continued to, you know, whether it was Border Patrol or going down into Gaza or Hebron. It's traumatic. It really is. And I didn't grow up with that. My dad wasn't in the Israeli army. My brothers, my uncles, you know, like every other uh, Israeli, they kind of have that, you know, prepare yourself. This is what goes on. Right. I, didn't, I didn't have that. Growth. Although my dad served in World War II and my older brother was a Marine, I joke with my brother. I, I told him, listen, I shot more bullets before breakfast on one day than you did your entire training, right? Because uh, he, he didn't see active duty. He, was, uh-huh. he went in in 73. Um, so the Army experience meant a lot to me. It also opened my eyes to um, what goes on between Jews and Arabs. And, um, and I tried to be part of the, uh, after I got out of the Army, I became an English teacher. I went to Haifa, um, uh, it's called Oranim, which is a satellite campus of Haifa University. Um, and so when I started teaching English, I purposely asked, um, can I, uh, I asked the kibbutz, can I go into some of the nearby Muslim uh, towns and villages and teach English there? And, you know, the paycheck, of course, goes to the kibbutz, but I just needed to find balance. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a friend and not... Uh, without a uniform, and go into, and so I did that. It was very, it was very enriching. And I also went into um, some of the suburbs of Nazareth, which was close to my kibbutz and the Christian villages, Christian suburbs, and taught English over there. So it was uh, enriching, like I said, to to uh, to go back and be amongst uh, Arab communities without a uniform, 
but instead of a gun with my guitar and, um, you know, teach English and sing songs and have fun. And that kind of began an ongoing love for the peace process. And uh, so still today, I try and stay as informed as possible and provide information as best uh, possible, accurate, accurate information, because so much inaccurate information gets gets viewed. I mean, people really think, a lot of people think that all Jews and Arabs in Israel are, are at each other's throats, and that's just not the yeah, case. That's not true. Right? Yeah, that's it's just not, not the case. I was just, I just came back from Israel. You know, I was at a hotel, small place, bed and breakfast, about 20 rooms. Shiites, Sunnis, Arab Christians, Ethiopians, Russians, secular Jews, religious Jews, the staff and guests, and we're all getting along. There's no no, there's no attention there in all the shops down the streets. It's uh, it's just a right. Well, there are yeah. those who say that it's governments who make war. It's the people themselves, themselves are the people themselves have the opportunity absolutely. to relate if, yeah. if they have the opportunity to relate on a human level. Right, they work together. Yeah, yes. well, we know each other's stories. We don't. We see each other not as uh, the other. Right. Right, but as a neighbor, and uh, you know, once you know someone's background and their story, everything changes. You know, so um, that's a big part, and I hope that becomes part of the peace process as well. Instead of um, uh, you know professionals coming in and uh, trying to uh, make a force of peace uh, alignment, we just have to slow down and get to know each other better and hear each other's stories. Well, of course, there are numbers of organizations. Uh, both Arab and uh, Jewish are. combined, who are working together to try mm-hmm. to overcome uh, those differences at the right. human level. Yes. That they might be able to influence yeah. governmental processes in a way that will lead to some solution. It's, it's complicated. Yes, it is. I mean, if on the minor scale, if you look at a family therapist coming in and uh, trying to solve sibling rivalry, it's just as hard. Yeah. You know, resentments, grudges, angers. You know, yeah, get rid of all multiply that by millions of people. Exactly. It gets exactly. complicated. Yeah. It gets complicated. Yeah. So how how has that experience in your life, do you think, influenced how you handle yourself as a, as a rabbi and the lessons you teach and the values you aspire to? Hmm. Well, I, I, I can say that it's given me a lot. Uh-huh. I, it's just hard for me uh, on the on the spot here to think how much right. of that influences, um, you know. Do you the, speak about Israel very often? Um, I do. Okay. And people turn to me often because they know that I try and stay on top of things uh, best I can. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, What's going on in the Middle East is a, is a concern for most of for most of our members uh-huh. in Sonoma, um, and I guess it's important to me to provide, like I said, accurate information and let people know that, for example, what happened uh, uh, a couple months ago around the time of our independence with the Gaza border. Um, you know, there were protests slash riots. And as a soldier, I know that there are rules of engagement for protests, and there are very different rules of engagement for riots. So on one side, um, you know, CNN and these others were just reporting, you know, the protest part, and we're responding in riot kind of uh, form. 
which is not fair because it actually was a riot, even if you have a few thousand people that just simply want to protest, mm-hmm. right? And so then a hundred rioters say, hey, we've got an opportunity here. And they ruined the protest. They, um, you know, they tried to cut wires. They, they tried to, uh, yeah, exactly, to get through the border. Right. And our intelligence, you know, we found, of course, you know, maps of who's going to what villages and how many people live there and how many people they can kill. So this is not to say anything bad about Arabs at all. This is a few of the, you know, the Hamas and the Fatah and the, right. uh, yeah, right. just the ones, that, the very few that are, that are ruining any chance for peace. It's yeah. almost as if Israel, Jewish Israelis are thinking, it's not going to happen. Right. They've almost given up faith. This uh, is, uh, it's been a roller coaster ride yeah. in the 70 years of Jewish history. Absolutely. Of the state of Israel's yeah. history. Absolutely. Um, that this is uh, just constant. It's, it's a, a constant it's battle. A tough one. Yeah. So to, to evolve that to, um, you know, we have coming up in uh, six weeks or so is uh, our high holidays Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, the new year on the Jewish calendar. Six weeks? Yeah, something like that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, better get started. Yeah, better get started. So um, I don't, you know, we can have a whole discussion on how we prepare, what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. But wondering what's on what's on your mind uh, to bring. You know, there's a lot of pressure on us as rabbis sure. to bring these yeah. uh, these yeah. messages to right. people of, right. of hope. Sure. Of hope. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I feel it's important, number one, to tap into what's happening in the Jewish world within the last year mm-hmm. um, and talk about that, but also tap into what's happening in our town of Sonoma and what's happening in our Jewish community in Sonoma. So we had a rough year, obviously, the fires, right? So soon after the high holidays last year, right in the middle of our Sukkot um, holiday, the fires broke out. And... Um, so, you know, the evacuations and, and uh, just, the, you know, the fires and the smoke and the few people that lost their homes, and um, that was traumatic. Soon after that, um, a, a real essential member of our community <clears throat> had a health uh, issue, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot was riding on him, and uh, he was not able to return. So that was a little bit of a setback, and a few other people had some health issues, uh, so it was just kind of, um, it was a really tough year for us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about resilience. You know, uh-huh. That's kind of one of our key words for this year is, um, is the way that we kind of step back from a situation, reassess, and proceed forward. So um, that's a little bit of the theme for this year and also all that I learned at the Hartman uh, Institute. Uh, we talked a lot about like I said, the, the professed values of the church and the synagogue and what's really happening in our streets and what we can do about it, you know, given the political climate where a large majority of people in both countries, America and in Israel, a large majority of people think another large majority are fools. So how do you talk to them? Right. right? And that's... Yeah, so uh, on the Jewish calendar, for those in our, among our listeners who aren't familiar... Uh, Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is a period of repentance uh, and renewal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the holiday is not really tied into any 
event in the history of the Jewish people. It's a more universal theme of human behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, human weaknesses, mm-hmm. and gives uh, us an opportunity every year in this concentrated period to look at our lives, mm-hmm. reevaluate where we are, and uh, look for ways to move forward. Uh, I think I'll open my sermon with that. There you that go. Was beautiful. Well, thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> you just push the button and play the recording. It'll be fine. Uh, so I, I just wanted to, because I know that our audience out there is not just the Jewish community, and I wanted to make sure that sure. there was a little bit of uh, yeah, what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. knowledge there. A little background knowledge yeah. there is okay. Yeah. Uh, and, but it does give us uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, the two holidays, uh, that 10-day period of mm-hmm. repentance, gives us an opportunity for a lot of self-reflection sure. and uh, for trying to pull together themes. And, mm-hmm. um, in uh, the Jewish experience, right. it's our biggest opportunity to have an audience in front of that's us right. that's larger than our usual weekly, right. yes. uh, weekly audience. Yes. Yeah, so we're expecting the same. Uh, we have a lot of uh, members from our congregation that uh, come forward to help behind the scenes, which is great. Um, because we don't actually own our building. We share the grounds with the First Congregational Church, uh-huh. uh, United Church of Christ, right, um, in Sonoma. And that is a beautiful relationship we have. The minister, uh, Curran, is, uh, is a sweetheart. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, she's come into our uh, worship services sometimes. I've come into their Sunday morning uh, church services and gave the, the main sermon a few times. So the interfaith. Uh, part is uh, important to our particular community because so many of our families are interfaith. Right. And I know that you have been chair of your interfaith Correct. Group, Still, yeah. Uh, over there. Um, Sonoma Valley Interfaith Ministerial Association. Right. I currently am the president. And, uh, and um, yeah, interfaith is a big part of our community. So in addition to, you know, the repentance and the and the taking stock and, and um, you know, reassessing our values and uh, where we missed the mark, which we should be doing all the time, right? right? But right. the high holy days are a little bit, uh, you know, more fully charged with that. Um, we have to, we, we do bring in the uh, angles of the interfaith also, just kind of Judeo-Christian values. Well, I find personally also that the interfaith piece is inspiring. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's uh, it's good to feel part of something bigger, mm-hmm. to be connected and uh, with a different world, Absolutely. to learn different perspectives. Absolutely. And um, as yeah. long as uh, we don't get caught on, well, we have the truth and they don't. Yeah, we don't go there. Then uh, yeah. right, we don't we don't want to go there. Yeah, I mean, even though we do have the truth, but right, we, well, we have the that. truth for ourselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, but we have the true truth yeah, as exactly. opposed to the yeah. false truth. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's. Um, yeah, as long as we don't go there. I, uh, one of my uh, Christian clergy friends was on this program with me, and we talked about truth and right. uh, its relevance in, uh, right. in how we present ourselves. Yeah. Right. The recognition that there are personal truths, uh, personal relationships mm-hmm. with God or right. no God for right. some people. Exactly. And it's really a very um, fluid peace. That's right. It's wonderful to be in dialogue Absolutely. with people who yeah. are leaders in other in communities other, other and communities. followers in right. other communities. Sure, and we've all, we're, we're all learning so much from each other right. and about right. each other. Right. And in fact, um, 
um, Pastor Rich Gantenbein from the St. Andrew Presbyterian Church, who's also a dear friend of mine, he, he uh, made a nice, a uh, couple years ago, when we were talking about how we're learning from each other and what we can do together during one of our meetings, um, he said something that I've kept with me the whole time. It's kind of like a coined phrase I use. And he says, let's find, even if it's the 10% that we all agree on, and give it 100%. That's a great line yeah. and a great way to begin to wind down uh, this segment of our program yeah. because I think I think that's very true. Yeah. If we sit there and emphasize our differences, Forget about it. and then we'll never be able to get anywhere. Well, so. the, the churches and synagogues, religious institutions, we absolutely have to play a part in bringing our country back to our values. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so thank you, Rabbi Steve Finley, Congregation Shir Shalom in Sonoma for right. being with us, right. talking with Rabbi Ted today. Yep. Thanks so much. And uh, as we wind down our program, I want to thank our listeners for being part of this. Uh, listening to KPCA LP, Petaluma, California, this week streaming live at kpca.fm. We hope you'll be with us in two weeks for our next segment. Thank you. C-A-L-P, Pataluma, California. This is DJ Saeed, host of Full Circle Sessions. Every Friday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m., my show presents incredible dance music from across the decades. Join me for two hours of new style journey, featuring the best in eclectic dance music. Get your weekend started here at 103.3 KPCA. Are you tired of the mainstream tunes that other stations play over the airwaves? I'm sure you crave more diversity. Free Range Radio KPCA just might be a station for you. We host local producers that play anything from contemporary jazz to R&B to surf music. Tune in on 103.3 FM and online at kpca.fm. Hey, our news and our boom. We host the news show. We talk about TV yeah, I like boating on the Petaluma River and seeing stars at the RFO Observatory. We also have homemade fireworks and covered by climate. You can catch our show at 2.30 every Sunday. Are you looking for an alternative to the usual political punditry? With Free Range Radio, KPCA, look no further. Given the day of the week, local programmers delve into such topics as Pilates, mental health, and even independent journalism with guests that evoke honest and open discussions. Tune in at 103.3 FM or online at kpca.fm. KPCA LP, Paluma, California. Uh-huh.